I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and go to Romans chapter 15, please. Romans chapter 15. I'd like to take a few moments and just look at a passage of Scripture uh, that speaks about the unity of God's people and anchors that in the mission of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're adding members, Lord willing, to the church this evening. And so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to speak about how Christmas ties to the healthy unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, I'd like to read at verse 7, please. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. And I'll stop there. So what we have here is Paul finishing the section uh, that began back in chapter 14 and verse 1 about unity in the church. Uh, The the sort of brackets on it is that word accept. 14.1 says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And, And so he has been talking all the way through chapter 14 and into chapter 15, about how believers uh, ought to accept one another as God's people while allowing room for differing personal convictions. Because there were issues about which uh, the believers had differences. Particularly in Romans 14, it mentions the observing of days or the eating of certain foods. And, and uh, almost everybody sees these uh, divisions as falling sort of along a Jew and Gentile line uh, because the Jewish people, having uh, grown up under the Mosaic law, had uh, scruples in their conscience about eating certain things and still felt somewhat compelled to observe certain days, whereas the Gentiles did not grow up under that and so had no issues about the food or the days that were observed. And, and so how do these two groups get along with each other? And so, so Paul is urged them to accept one another as God's people. And that's because God has accepted them. Look at 14, uh, 14, three, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt. The one who does not eat and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats for God has accepted him. All right? so, so if these are genuine believers, then they have been accepted by God, and therefore they ought to accept one another. They ought to have that kind of stance toward them. So accept one another as God's people while allowing room for differing personal convictions so that they might with one voice Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That part of the argument comes in chapter 15, right before our text. Notice in verse 5 of chapter 15. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why should they accept one another? Uh, leaving room for differing personal convictions. It's so that they can 
have a unity in their worship to God, that they would actually with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what he's been saying, 14.1 all the way up to 15.6. 15.7 is sort of like the conclusion, right? Notice the first word of verse 7. Therefore, right, on the basis of everything I just said, from 14.1 to 15.6, here's the conclusion you should draw, right? Here's the way in which we should look at one another, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So the responsibility for believers is to have a response toward one another where we receive or welcome each other, that we adopt a stance toward each other that is receptive and welcoming. Accept one another. And notice the reason, just as Christ accepted you. And so... There is a word here used to translate just as that could communicate either the way in which they did it or because Christ has done it. And it really is a tough call to make a decision between it, right? So just as could be, accept one another in the same way Jesus accepted you. Or it could be, accept one another because he accepted you, because he has done that towards you. I, I am inclined to take it as it's rooted in Christ's gracious acceptance of us. That's why we accept one another. Because practically speaking, he's been arguing along that way saying, listen, the, this person's been accepted by God, so you should accept one another. And I think that's what he's saying here. Right? If, if God has accepted them, then you should accept them. You should accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Right? There is a rooting in it. It's similar, if I could put it this way, to what Ephesians chapter 4 says about being kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you in Christ's sake. Right, so the motivation is the way the the work of God in graciously forgiving us is the ground on which we exercise forgiveness. The work of God in graciously receiving us as His people is why we have that stance toward other people. Right, because it's it's somewhat contradictory to the very nature of our our status as God's people to rejoice in the gracious, kind acceptance of God while making other people hop through hoops to get your acceptance. Right? I mean, God doesn't make you hop through hoops to be accepted by him. You're accepted in Christ graciously. Your stance toward your brothers and sisters in Christ should be consistent with that. And, and so we need to guard ourselves against the dispositions that chapter 14 highlighted, that, that, that on one hand are people judging other people, right? They, there are people doing things that they didn't think should be done, so they were judging them. Or there were people who didn't have the freedom to do some things that other people did, so they were looking with contempt at them. And so the 
the weak were judging the strong. And the strong were despising the weak. In both cases, they weren't accepting them graciously. They weren't leaving room for, for the work of God in their lives and reaching out to them as God had reached out to, uh, to others the way God had reached out to them. So, so we have this responsibility rooted in what God has done for us through Christ and, and why should that be done? Notice verse 7. It says, to the glory of God. To the glory of God. That is, this was done for us, for the glory of God, and it should be done by us for the glory of God. And, and so it's a God-centered motivation, which is important because if we make ourselves the center, then we tend to operate with ourselves as the standard. What makes me happy controls how I respond to other people. Rather than what brings glory to God controls how I respond to other people. Right, that I'm, I want to see God honored. And in fact, I think a part of understanding that glory, uh, glory to God is what he said in the verse right before it that we already read, so that we might with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, God, God's been very kind to us as a congregation uh, to preserve and protect our unity, and, and we should give him thanks continually for that. Uh, it's not always that way in churches, right? And if you've been around for a while, you know that. I happen to get around a bunch, and I hear about it, and I talk to people who are getting uh, beat up in the process of it, right? But it's hard to sing with one voice to God when you can't stand the people you're singing with. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the basic point here. If your heart is shut down to the other people in the assembly, then you're not going to be able to stand with one voice and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If pride infects the church of Jesus Christ, so that let's just use the illustration of what's going on in Romans 14. The person who can eat the meat is looking over at the person who doesn't feel the liberty to eat meat and thinking, what, what a weak Christian. I can't believe them. Right? Or this one's looking over and going, I, I, they, they are, they are sinning against God and, and, and they're, they're, they're a, 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 a carnal kind of Christian because they're eating that. Let's all stand together and sing. Right? When they come into the assembly and their thoughts toward the other believer is judgment, that's the weak, or contempt, that's the strong, and both sides sin. 
right? We, we tend to fixate on the don't judge thing, but Paul also says, don't despise your brother because you think you're spiritually more mature than them. So you can look down your nose at that weak Christian, right? It's on both sides of the equation that pride infects the church so that there, we're not arriving to the assembly welcoming one another, accepting one another, just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God, right? And, and if we're full of the selfish sinfulness of judgmentalism or contempt, then we're blocking the work of God to produce a congregation who has one heart, to glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's rooted in what Christ has done. And in fact, it's rooted in why he came. Because look at the first word of verse 8. For, right? So that means verse 8 and following are an explanation in relationship to verse 7. Right? So, accept one another like this, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So, the, the four here introduces an explanation of Christ's ministry in relationship both to Jews and Gentiles. Remember, that's the, probably the fault line in the church that's, that's causing the division. And Paul is working to push them toward unity, and he wants them to accept one another. And so here he steps back and goes, listen, Jesus came as a servant to, to actually do something in regard to both of these groups. Right? He became a servant of the circumcision. That's the Jewish people on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And he became a servant for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So, so Christ came into this world. He humbled himself and became a servant so that both Jews and Gentiles might have the promises of God confirmed and mercy poured out on them. So so in terms of what we're talking about this time of the year is that Christmas actually is a reminder of the mission of Jesus Christ to do these things, to accomplish them, to, to be a servant on behalf of the truth of God. And to con- and in so doing, confirm the promises, but also for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Right? So I'm not going to go through all the promises. I actually spent some time on it this morning. But there was a whole string of promises given to the, the, the fathers, the patriarchs. All right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Right, The promises were given to them, and Jesus came as a servant of the Jewish people on behalf of the truth of God, which had been communicated to them. 
but also so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, that beyond the promises to the patriarchs and the fulfillment of those promises to Israel was this wonderful expansion of the mercy of God out to the Gentiles, right? which is probably 99.9% of us tonight. Right, that we have received mercy from God because Christ became a servant. He came to extend that mercy. And so we, if we understand what Jesus was doing as he came into the world to fulfill the promises to the fathers and to extend God's mercy to the Gentiles, then, then what Paul would be saying is so How can you not accept one another if that's what the mission of Jesus was about? Right? He came here to make it possible for you to, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you not get on board with that? Right? Because that's the mission of Christ. And and that's still the case, that, that God's plan for his people is to actually take people from diverse backgrounds uh, across the board of however you want to slice up humanity and, and erase those distinctions to form the body of Christ. All right? So sometimes it's described as uh, slave and master. Jew and Gentile, right? Sometimes described as male and female. Ways in which we might historically subdivide and split out the people of God, actually Jesus came to unite so that there's one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church of Christ ought to Uh, have that heart of drawing its unity from the mission of Jesus Christ, right? It's what Jesus was doing that provides the basis for the unity among God's people, and, and it should be recognized there. So, for us as a congregation, we should always be coming back to that, right? When um, when we think about how we relate to one another, do we, if I could put it this way, do we put the foundation of that in the mission of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Because right? there's a lot of strategies that churches use to build unity um, that would actually run contrary to that. Thankfully, it's faded off a little bit, but for a, a, a window, there was a, a focus on the way to build a church is to actually have homogeneity. It was formerly called the homogeneous unit principle. The best way to grow a church is get everybody from the same subset, right? That's why you had Things like reaching unchurched Harry and Marion, demographic profiles of them, or Saddleback Sam was a big one with Rick Warren. You get the demographic profile and you craft the church to appeal to that demographic. All it was was the way people sell anything in our country, right? You, you know, the basic principle is you, you take a look at the market, you segment it out, Pick the segment you're going to go after, 
right? You segment it, then you target it, and you position yourself for the target. And that got swallowed up by churches. Right? So there's a big church on the north side of town that one of the founding church planters told a friend of mine, they went through their mailing list and set the mailing list at certain income above that income. And then they went through the list that they got and they eliminated any recognizably ethnic kinds of names. Right? Because they were targeting their group. Here's the segment we're going after. We're going to target that segment, usually upper middle class, right? And we're going to position ourselves for that. And that, that's not even close to what Jesus is talking about here. Right? That the gospel of Jesus Christ came into this world to, to spread without distinction among the peoples of this earth calling them all to the foot of the Savior who is the Lord of all. And the church should be built around that unity. It shouldn't be built around common interests, affinities, family ties even. Right? Those things all might be there, but the reality of it is the thing that unifies the people of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share Christ, he's our Lord and Savior. And the root of sharing Christ is the fellowship that we have in Christ. And so we ought to be constantly working in our heart so that we are open-armed toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? That we're moving toward one another. We're welcoming, we're receiving one another just as Christ has accepted us to the glory of God. Because it's the mission of Jesus Christ, the kind of, uh, the kind of spirit that Christ displayed in becoming a servant is what ought to capture us. So let me just remind us here that what we see in these verses is a reminder that God is faithful. He keeps his promises and that God is merciful. He helps the helpless. And so you and I, should have a stance toward others that banks on the trustworthiness of God. He keeps his promises, and he loves to show mercy. So we become people who are faithful. We keep our commitments to one another as his people, and we show mercy. We want to see God glorified in that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that we can trust you to keep your promises, that you never fail, and that you have made them to us in Christ. All of your promises in him are yes. And so we want to offer through him our amen to your glory. And Lord, thank you for what you've done in this place to establish this assembly and to guard and protect it through the decades. Lord, we praise you for that, and we plead that you might continue that work, that we might never get hardened in our heart toward one another, but have hearts that look at each other graciously like you have looked at us and receive one another because we know that you have received 
each of us through Christ and his work on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that we can have folks join our assembly tonight and we pray that they might be, uh, they might be uh, folded into the assembly in a way that would communicate your love to them and help them and equip them and strengthen them and that we too would be helped and strengthened by their addition to this body. You've given them gifts by which they can serve you and that we need. And so we thank you for your provision in this. In Jesus' name, amen.